0: Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. It. Wilson, quick throw,
1: and it's good. Intercepted! the Intercepted. Butler. Butler has it at the one.
0: Pat Lane with my co-host Ryan spagnoli Ryan, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm uh, amped up from the Red Sox. What a
2: win! Another uh, oh, another man. championship. 21 years old, I've seen 11 championships. My parents are continuously have been saying since maybe the fourth or fifth one when I was probably 10, 11 at that time. Who knows that I'm so spoiled and that you know they never got to experience this growing up. So, I mean, I think I mean I'm so I. I never take it for granted growing up here it's it's awesome everything about massachusetts and and being a fan i, I love it here um it's just like it's it's awesome i mean they, i i credit all the teams for making me so passionate about sports because i i always say to my friends my family if i live somewhere else i don't know if i'd be as passionate because like it's just right. there's something about the sports here that just bring everyone together and just it just makes everything so much better
0: It's true. It's true. And, and so I was now, I was born in 84. So the Celtics won the championship like two weeks before I was born in 84. They won it when I was two in 86. But the first one really for me was, was the Patriots in 01. And I was a senior in high school when that happened. And so, you know, there was zero championships from, you know, from when I was two to when I was 18 and now there've been 11 and it's just, it's, it's wild. And, you know, now my kids are alive and, and going and, and it's, Nora, so my oldest is Nora. She she was born in 2011. She has never, she has never not seen the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Every that's year that she's been alive, the Patriots <laughs> have been in the AFC Championship game, which is just like, it's Good absolutely luck, Charm. ridiculous. And that's, it's really crazy, right? I mean, it's like, so it's every year they're in the AFC Championship game. And then, you know, she's seen the 2011 Red Sox and the, you know, 2000, um, the 2014 Patriots and the, uh, I'm sorry, the 2011 Bruins, the 2013 Patriots, uh, Red Sox, the 2014 Patriots, the 2016 Patriots, and now, you know, and now this one with the Red Sox in. So it's like, you know, she's seven and she's seen five championships. And you're just like, you got kidding. me. It's just, it's crazy. And so, you know, that's, that's the craziest part. And to me, it's not just the 11 championships. It's the fact that there's been three years of, That's the longest we've gone is three years in between championships, you know, from the Celtics in 08 to the Bruins in 2011. And it's really just amazing that, you know, it's like, it seems like every single year we're in there. And I think this is now 26 semifinals appearances um, by Boston teams since 2001, which is just, I mean, like it's more than one a year. It's crazy. it's It's unbelievable. And so that's, you know, that's the one where you just look at it and you're like, "How is it even possible that they've been there that many times?" And, you know, and the Patriots obviously have played in eight Super Bowls, you know, since, and it's just, it, it's amazing. And so, you know, long story short, it, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a lifetime to be a Boston sports fan. I'll tell you that. Oh, so, it's un- so unbelievable, it man. You assume it'll end because, like all things, it, it will. Oh, come I to hope the end. not, but, man. I hope
2: not. This know, is too much fun. I mean, who knows? These teams have set the precedent. I got a lot of New York fans and like, you know, I always joke. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a miserable, miserable, like, you know, 30s on because there's no way they can keep this up. And they're like, you know, you don't know that because these teams have just set such a precedent for themselves that like they need to win, you know. And if they rebuild, they rebuild fast, just like the Red Sox did, just like the Celtics did, just like the Bruins did, you know, like. Right. It's it's crazy. The Bruins are probably the least contending team, and their average age is like third youngest in the NHL or something crazy like that. Not to get off topic of the Patriots, but no, but I mean they're funny. definitely yeah, do they're definitely due for one too. You know, like eventually, right. hopefully, yeah. you know.
0: But well, they haven't they haven't won in seven years, so I mean, you know, it's Celtics oh, have won in ten years. I mean, it's I like you know. know, but it's just it it's one of those things. And I think you know, I, I was chatting with someone about it the other day who was a Cowboys fan, and I said, you know, my only hope is that the Patriots are never the Cowboys. You know, they're never kind of everyone's golden boy and everyone talks about them, but they suck every year and they're 8-8 eight and eight and they can never get over the hump. And, and my feeling is that they'll never be that way because the Cowboys are that way because of Jerry Jones and Kraft, you know, knows better than that to get in the way of things. And so, you know, maybe when they lose Brady, they won't be, you know, the best the best team in the league anymore, but I think they'll always be in contention. So... Anyways, we're getting way off topic, but it was, you know, it was awesome. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the Red Sox, a little bit more in depth after our interview. Uh, we do have Evan Lazar coming on the show. He is from CLNS Media. He's formerly a Pat's Pulpit. And so, you know, anyone listening, if you read Pat's Pulpit, if you listen to us because you read Pat's Pulpit, you, you know Evan. If you follow him on Twitter, he's, you know, he's a super, super knowledgeable guy. So we're really excited to have him on. So, uh, so I guess let's just let's get right into it, and then we'll uh, and then we'll talk maybe a little bit more Red Sox afterwards. So here is Evan Lazar from CLNS. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show Evan Lazar. He is from CLNS Media, formerly of Pat's Pulpit. So he's kind of coming home here uh, on the Patriot Nation podcast presented by Pat's Pulpit. And uh, Evan, welcome onto the show, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back in my old stomping grounds. I, I miss everybody over at the pulpit, and uh, happy to be on.
0: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, thank you again. And uh, I guess let's get right into it. And, and I guess the, the real question is: before we get into you know into the matchup this weekend, is is you know what happened Monday night?
1: Well, I, I think that you know it's it's not as bad as it looks, really, uh, honestly. And I think that you know the Patriots and the Patriots fans have set such a high standard for this team that nineteen point wins on the road in the division aren't good enough. I mean, that's a win that. If you're another team in the AFC East or if you're a team in another division and you're playing a divisional opponent and you win the game by 19 points, people are talking about that as a huge win for the team. You know, this is a huge positive for the team and a a stepping stone. But unfortunately, when it's a team like the Buffalo Bills and Derek Anderson and some of the lack of weapons that they have on the offensive side of the ball, even though the defense wasn't the issue last week, a 19-point win and an ugly 19-point win, kind of a grinded-out type game, isn't good enough. I, I really thought that on the offensive side of the ball, they moved the ball pretty well for the most part. They just stalled uh, late in drives and were forced to kick field goals. You turn some of those into touchdowns, and it's a whole different story. I mean, those are, you know, they were one for five in what I like to call fringe red zone opportunities, which is when you get inside that, like, 30, 35 range, basically into field goal range. Into field goal range. And they were, right, and they were one to five. one for five in those situations, you add, you know, two or three more touchdowns onto there, that's eight to 12 more points. And all of a sudden they're up into the thirties and it's 35 to six instead of 25 to six. It's just one of those situations where the offense played a really good defense, in my opinion, in the bills that I was trying to hype up all last week and Patriots fans just really weren't taking the bait because they saw the two and five record and they're like, it's the bills. They stuck yada yada. Their defense is legit. And that's a a legit crowd. And uh, on uh, Monday night, that was basically their Super Bowl uh, home game, prime time against the Patriots. Doesn't get any bigger than that in Buffalo besides, you know, maybe the playoff game last year that was in Jacksonville. So it it really, in terms of a home game, that's pretty much as big as it gets for the Bills over the last 20 years or so.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, one thing, too, about it is that the Patriots didn't really have a running back. And their entire right side of their offensive line was missing for the majority of the game. Shaq Mason, you know, obviously started the game, but came out, I think around halftime, right? So, you know, they were missing basically half of their offensive line and really without a running back. I know Patterson obviously played running back, but but really without a running back as well. So I think – I was – sorry to
2: cut you off, uh, Pat, but I I mean I was shocked to not see a lot of Kenyon Barner. Um, I thought going into the week, I mean obviously – uh, I think it was CLNS, Evan, that tweeted out, Ivan Fears, the running back coach, was kind of like caught off guard when people were asking about Patterson taking carries. I was, you know, I was a little shocked to see that. Obviously, they they have some trick plays for him, but not straight up. You know, he was running through the through the holes and, and taking some draws, like, you know, like a traditional running back would. But I, I thought we'd see at least, you know, 14 to 15 carries from Barner to take the load off White in the passing game because, you know, we – They can't run him through the tackles because it's not really his style of play. And, I mean, they can't afford to lose him, let's face it.
1: Yeah, no, I was very surprised as well that Barner didn't see the lion share the work and that they went the Cordrell Patterson route. I think that just kind of tells you what exactly they think of Kenyon Barner right now. Obviously not a player that they really trust quite yet to be handing the ball off to him a bunch of times in a game like that. But without that running game, what really ended up happening was the Patriots were just an obvious passing team. I mean, didn't end up going the direction. And Brady, I think, only threw it 40 or 41 times. So it wasn't like he threw it 65 times. But it was still pretty obvious that they were a passing team. And they weren't able to get ahead of the chains on early downs because they kept on having to throw the ball so you're in those third and six, third third and 7 situations a lot of the time and then you know that you know the defense knows that you're passing and then the pass rush can get after Brady and then you put into that factor as well that you're also a lot of the time in the red zone or inside the 30 and it's a more of a condensed field so it makes it harder to get open on the back end and in the secondary so a lot of those things, I think, all added up to this Bill's pass rush, who doesn't need any favors, doesn't need any help. It's a very formidable and legitimate pass rush. was able to really get after Brady in those types of key situations, third down red zone, those types of things. And that's why you kind of saw the field goal brigade from Stephen Gaskowski that you saw. So the Patriots are one for three in the red zone, one for five in fringe red zone, you know, those uh, inside the 30, inside the 35 uh, drives as well that needs to improve going forward. And if it w- was better against Buffalo on Monday night, I, I just think that this is a whole different conversation. And, you know, maybe the whole game as a whole isn't as bad as maybe a few situational plays that here and there kind of cost them a lot of points.
0: Right. What Actually one play in particular I wanted to chat without, with you about, and I know I don't want to spend a ton of time on this game because it was so ugly and, there's such a huge game this weekend. And I, I want to spend the majority of our time talking about that, but just one play in particular that I was kind of surprised about was uh, he had white at the goal line on one play. And I don't remember exactly what quarter it was to be honest with you, but um, white kind of gets up there, gets to his man. And instead of curling into the middle where there was a, where there was a spot in the zone, he went out Brady ends up throwing it basically through it at the line or at the, at the goal line on the ground, because, I think as, what I assume happened is as he was about to throw it, he assumed White was going that way. And when he didn't, he just kind of threw it on the ground so that no one could could pick it off, basically. But it seemed like a wide-open read for White, and he just missed it. Um, I'm sure you saw it, but I just was was interested to see if you've seen that from White at all uh, this year beyond that play.
1: No, and, and to be honest with you, James White is as solid and as consistent and everybody in the Patriots organization from top to bottom just calls him Mr. Dependable, Mr. Always Right, because he just, like, never makes a bad decision uh, in, in game. And I think the one that you're talking about, Brady actually ended up dirting it because there was some pressure up the middle. There was a stunt between Kyle Williams and the, the Bill's other defensive tackle's name is, is vanishing from my mind right now. But they didn't pick up the stunt. Ted Karras was in the game at that point. At right guard, and they kind of messed up the switch off there between him and David Andrews, and, and it led to some pressure up the middle. I think a lot of those types of situations happened on Monday night where Brady was just under pressure a lot of the time in the red zone and in some of those third down opportunities. We saw it with the throw over the middle to Julian Edelman or Julian Edelman sat down in the zone like he should have, and he was open, and there was just pressure in Brady's face, and the ball just kind of sailed The Edelman's left a little bit too much for him to catch it. it. Uh, You know, there's a couple of different other examples of that as well and when Brady throws the ball into the ground like that sometimes it's obviously receiver error but sometimes it's also him just not loving what he's seeing and in that situation you just take the three points and you get out of there with a win and and you know you don't throw an interception or throw a ball into coverage
0: right No, that's a good point that is a good point so it's certainly possible that that it wasn't even on white so yeah so all right let's uh let's get away from the Bills game cuz again i, I think to me, at least, I think that's you know an outlier. It's not what you're gonna what you're gonna see from week to week, and so um, you know we're getting into you know what what a lot of people think of as the game of the year now. Again, it's the Packers. Like the Packers are good, but it's not. They're not the Chiefs. They're not the Rams. But Rogers is playing his first game in Gillette. Uh, his probably his only game he'll ever play in Gillette because I don't think Rogers lasts another eight years. And so uh, you know it is a pretty you know pretty exciting game for. For the people, you know, going to the game this weekend. Um, and certainly there's some some concerns because Rodgers is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I think there's more concern because they've had some difficulty keeping those running quarterbacks in the pocket. And maybe, you know, and I don't want to steal too much of your thunder here, but maybe like Rodgers got hurt the first week. So maybe he's not as much of a running quarterback as he normally is, but he can still move with the ball. And you know, guys like Claiborne who have been unable to hold that edge. You know, this could be a game where they get exposed. And, you know, if you give Rodgers extra time, you're in big trouble. So, um, you know, what do you see this weekend? And and really, I guess, you know, how do they stop this Green Bay offense?
1: Well, I think with Rodgers, and I'm actually writing about that uh, right now for my game plan tomorrow, the the key with him is really pressuring him in a contained manner, right? And I think this is something that the Patriots – defensive linemen especially talk about all the time against these mobile quarterbacks I mean every single week that they played a mobile QB whether they were successful or unsuccessful at keeping them in the pocket whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Mitchell Trubisky or uh, Deshaun Watson week one it was yeah we want to contain and we want to make sure that we keep them in the pocket but we also can't let that completely you know mitigate the pass rush and mitigate the, the disruption that you can get on the quarterback solely because we're worried about setting a hard edge and keeping him inside and all these types of things he's still got a pressure so I think it's the main thing that they try to do and it's obviously been hit or miss at times I think it was very good week one against Deshaun Watson and obviously it was kind of a disaster especially against Mitchell Trubisky but they try to pressure up the middle, and they try to contain on the edges. That's kind of been the MO and kind of also been what I've seen some other teams like the Rams and the Detroit Lions and some of the uh, teams that have beaten the Packers this season that they've been able to do is they've really been able to contain contain on the edge, uh, keep level on the edge, and not allow Rodgers to go backwards or find a gap going right to his left or right, and then kind of let the interior rushers get after the quarterback and make some upfield pass rush moves and do it that way. I think that if you can pressure Rodgers, and the analytics, the stats back this up, his passer rating drops from about 116 while not under pressure to 56 while under pressure. And 56 is 20th out of 28 qualified quarterbacks in the league right now under the qualified passer rating uh, calculator. So, He is basically in my, you know, film study and and in the analytics side of things from Pro Football Focus, a below average quarterback when under pressure, believe it or not. And that kind of separates, I think, in a lot of ways, the really elite quarterbacks from the not good quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Rodgers is an elite quarterback, but guys like Tom Brady, who is ninth in that statistic, Drew Brees, who's near the top of the league in that statistic, those guys are just fair a lot better in those types of situations when they're facing pressure than Aaron Rodgers has this season. So I think some of that's the need because he's used to being able to escape and elude rushers and use his quickness and agility and running ability to extend plays where he might not be able to do that as much this year because he's you know a little bit limited with that knee injury but i also think that some of that is kind of a theme of what's happened over the last you know couple years of his career that that efficiency has really dropped in pressure situations so contain rush but also a coordinated rush that you can kind of get some pressure on him with four or five rushers you don't obviously want to overload blitz because he'll just pick you apart like in those situations but you rush four or five you get some pressure on him you cause him to make some poor decisions, there's definitely proof
2: that that can work. And too, I mean, we know, they they, they noted it last week that that knee, I mean, it hasn't really held him back. He's still, you know, he's still shredding defenses and making the throws he needs to. But with the pressure, like you said, I mean, that knee definitely isn't 100%. He's still wearing that brace. So I think what you, like you said, you know getting some pressure on him and kind of forcing him out of his comfort zone, make him to move a little bit side to side will definitely help that defense out mightily instead of letting him sit back there and pick you apart.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised because, you know, the way that I kind of go about doing my game plan every week is I look at the the statistics and then I watch the film and I kind of try to find a happy median of what the stats are saying and what the film is saying and when i watched rogers face pressure i was really surprised at how bad he was at it and that's not to say that he's bad you know historically bad or bad in terms you know like like a low-level quarterback just bad in terms of his elite status you know uh just not in the same category in that regard as like a, as like i said before like a tom brady or a Drew Brees or uh someone of, of that nature he's just worse at it than those guys are and i don't think that this is anything necessarily that's that new i think that this has kind of happened over the last couple of years and a lot of it has to do with uh you know lack of talent at receiver which he has better receivers this year but i'll I'll put it out tomorrow on friday and and people will see that there's evidence on film of him uh you know turning the ball over under pressure him missing Mm -hmm. receivers under pressure him failing to set protections pre-snap all these types of things and uh, you know i think that's really what the patriots are going to have to do now it's going to be difficult because the patriots pass rush is certainly not at the level of let's say like the los angeles rams you have aaron donald and sue and all those guys but they can do it if they can do it then that i think is really a way that they can help out the secondary a whole lot
0: right that makes sense. So if we switch to the other side of the ball, now, you know, the Packers traded away Ty Montgomery, which I think was a non issue really for them offensively because you have Aaron Jones, you have Jamal Williams. Ty Montgomery seemed like the odd man out, anyways. Uh, but the one thing I'm curious about is, you know, they trade Ha Ha Clinton Dix, and I understand the move because they're not going to be able to re sign him, and I get that. But, you know, this guy's, you know, was a Pro Bowl safety and was a starter for them. And so you look at it and say, how much are they going to struggle, especially this week, right after you make the trade, now you play the Patriots, um, who are great at exposing stuff like that, and and honestly have probably one of the biggest matchup nightmares in the NFL, and now you're coming in with a backup safety uh, who has, you know, little time to prepare for this. And so um, it was it was surprising to me um, that they made that move. And, you know, how do you think that affects the defense when trying to set the Patriots offense?
1: Well, I think that what we're seeing in Green Bay, and, and not that HaHa Clinton-Dix was an old player, he's obviously still on his rookie deal, but I think that there's a little bit of a youth movement in general on that secondary. You have two rookie corners that are playing a ton of snaps, and Jair Alexander, who everybody just loves, and Josh Jackson from Iowa, who's a nice ball-hawking player that can play on the perimeter. And then they also have the safety that's really going to come in and, and take clinton Dixon's spot is Josh Jones, who is another just uh, athletic freak who – killed the combine a couple of years ago and is probably one of the best athletes on the green Bay Packers, quite frankly. So although Clinton Dix has the experience and he's been a very good player, I think they're not really giving up a ton in, of, in terms of raw ability. The question is going to be, And we kind of saw this with the Buffalo Bills defense at times. Brady really picked on rookie Tremaine Edmonds, at linebacker, in the play-action passing game, especially by moving him with his eyes, moving him with fakes, and throwing it right behind him where he was supposed to be. And uh, I think that there's kind of those types of things that Brady does because of just how great he is with young player, he, young players. He can really toy with them at times, especially guys that play in the middle of the field that are looking into the quarterback and trying to read the quarterback's eyes because Brady's eyes lie. They just, they just right. don't. He's his body language, where he points his direction of his body, his eyes, all those types of things. They lie, and he does it on purpose to kind of manipulate defenses and find soft spots and do all that kind of stuff. So I think that there is some advantages to it. I think the Packers as an organization really like Jones and kind of like the direction that he's going to take them at that position long-term, but obviously the first week back, I'm sure that there's going to be some growing pains too, but this Packers defense, you know, hasn't really come together completely in a statistical way that maybe some people would expect, but I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more here, but they have a pretty solid uh, kind of scheme and Mike Pettin is a Rex Ryan disciple and he has a very good uh, way of pressuring quarterbacks. A lot of uh, creative rushes that really give the offensive line a lot of problems. And I'm expecting, you know, it to be a little bit of a problem, although playing at home, being able to communicate and do all that stuff pre-snap I think will help.
0: Right. I agree. I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. You know, when you, when you're able to do those things uh, you know, and communicate before the snap and everything else uh, that definitely can change things uh offensively at least when you're looking at that. You know, the communication is so important. And so um, you know, obviously pressure, I, I think pressure has been, I wouldn't say a consistent problem, but certainly there's been some pressure allowed. Um, I know Mason this week had a rough week. Waddell had a rough week uh, you know, in Buffalo. And and so the question really becomes, you know, is Cannon going to play this week? Is Mason going to play this week? Because you know he he left uh with an injury and can those guys, you know, and even on the left side, and I know Brown's been fantastic in, in pass coverage, but or pass projection, I should say, but even, you know, even those guys, can they protect Brady to the point where, you know, you have to bring extra guys? Because I feel like as soon as you start blitzing Brady, you know, if the offensive line can stop the four guys up front, if you start blitzing Brady, you're screwed. And so I think that, you know, that's really where the Patriots need to get to. And, so I guess that's the question is, is, can they do that? Now, I think their front seven as a whole is pretty good, but you know how good is their defensive line? I know their linebackers are pretty talented, but how good is that defensive line and can they exploit that, those matchups?
1: Well, I think that the matchup that's going to be exploited is going to be that interior of the Patriots offensive line versus two of the best pass rushing interior defensive lineman in the league and probably the best tandem besides maybe Sue and Donald is Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels for the Packers. And those two guys are just disruptive forces, very technically sound, but also have some athletic ability and some get off to them as well. Both big guys that can really move and really great pass rushers uh, for both of those guys. But really with the scheme that Pettin runs, you know, he has very, very creative and very knowledgeable about bringing pressure and where to bring pressure and how to kind of attack some of the rules that the offensive line kind of, you know, uh, goes over in their pass protection schemes. And you kind of exploit those rules, you know, from the reverse, right? You know what they are, so you're able to exploit right. them by attacking them and making it difficult. One of the things that, you know, Peyton does is he does love to blitz. He blitzes about 37% of the time, which is among the league leaders. I think it's fourth in the NFL, but in, you know, kind of the the... The result of that is that they're a third in pressure percentage, so they really do pressure the quarterback a lot, and one thing that they would love to do is they love to do what's called a mug front, we see the Patriots do this a lot, too, where they line two players up over the A-gap, uh, two linebackers usually, and they do all sorts of different things. Both of them come, one of them comes, they stunt, uh, they do all sorts of kind of stuff to get free rushers and free runners to the quarterback with those. But what it really does is it puts a lot of onus on the running back position to kind of make a read, uh, sometimes even a dual read, because they could be reading two different players and kind of help in pass protection against those blitzes. And a lot of the time last week against the Rams, Todd Gurley, who's a very good pass-protecting running back, kind of was left in no man's land because he had two guys to block or they were fake blitzing one guy and bringing another guy off the edge. and He did an okay job, but they really put a lot of stress on that pass protector and the running back position and a lot of stress on the quarterback pre-snap to kind of make sure that they have everybody blocked. So the Patriots really this week, and I talked to Dante Skarniecki, the offensive line coach, about it when he was available to us yesterday. Uh, about this blitzing, you know, front in this aggressive Packers defense. And he says, you know, you just got to believe in the system. You know, you got to believe in the calls, believe in the system, believe in your blocking rules. And when Brady calls out the protection and sets the protection, everybody's got to be on the same page and everybody's got to be executing their blocks and believing in what, you know, uh, is happening out there. And I think that that's where they're kind of going to start with it and see where the game kind of goes. But that matchup of Ted Karras, who's probably going to start for Shaq Mason on Sunday uh, against Daniels and Kenny Clark is definitely one that favors the Packers pretty heavily.
0: Right. Well, and then it, and then it brings us into the running back question because, you know, Yeah. Is Michelle going to play? I mean, I've seen,
2: he has been practicing obviously limited, but I mean, we've seen what he can do with that, that offense. I mean, he's kind of, kind of a low-key X factor. I mean, when he gets going, it, it just makes Tom Brady and the, the offense so much better, obviously with the play action and kind of they have to respect him as a running back. And then you get that, you know, you get Michelle running through the tackles and and, and then you factor in James White with the passing. I mean, we've seen how much he can really help Tom Brady, especially. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've been kind of banging the Michelle Jerome all season. And even when they drafted the guy, I would say that he's not even low-key an X factor. I think he's high-key an X factor. Uh, what, honestly, I mean, if you're going to make, other than Brady, because, like, he's obviously the guy where the buck stops there, uh, whether he's out there or not out there. But if you're going to make a list of the most valuable play, Patriots on offense, I mean, Michelle is right up there. He's he's two
2: or three. He's probably still yeah. like ben Gronkowski and Edelman, just out of respect to those guys. And, and White, yeah. I mean, he's he's got to be, you know, top five. And that's, I mean, that's even pushing it. I'd agree with yeah, you there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so he's he's a really key factor in this whole thing because what he allows them to do is run the football, obviously. And when you can run the football as effectively as he can and as effectively as they do when he's right, then it, all of a sudden it just makes the defense on its heels all the time. And the Patriots can just run so many different things. They can do so many different things. It often forces the defense to load the box with seven or eight guys in the box to try to stop the run. And then that gets the one-on-one matchups on the outside to Gordon and Edelman and Gronk. So uh, on Monday night, I keep saying this, but on Monday night against the Bills, they didn't have the running game, and the Bills really sat all over the coverage and, and were able to rush the passer and really, uh, you know, focus on stopping the pass. And all eleven guys, so uh michelle it really brings that just similar to how what Dion Lewis brought to the team last year. he brings that kind of flexibility and the ability to run or pass on any given down when he's in the game, even if he's not and he hasn't been you know particularly great at catching the ball out of the backfield, obviously, and Ivan fear's running back coach even said you know he's behind in that regard, but even that he's still athletic enough and still enough of a threat. That if you don't cover him out of the backfield, then you're screwed. And he can also play, you know, pretty good in, in uh, pass protection and blitz pickup right. as well. So he just, at, when he's on the field, as great as James White is, and I love James White as a player, and he's obviously having a dynamite season. Uh, when Michelle is on the field, the Patriots are multidimensional offense. They can run, they can pass, they can do all sorts of different things. And the defense really is left on its heels. And we kind of saw that against Kansas City, I think, was kind of the the microcosm of that That game. Just that offense, I mean, as bad as the Kansas City defense could be at times, they were just an unstoppable force because they could just do whatever they wanted. They could run. They could pass. They could throw it inside. They could throw it outside. They could run inside. They could run outside. They could screen game. They could do everything. So uh, when you have all of that at your disposal, and Michelle is kind of the the pivot player, right, of having that option,
0: right. Well, I got so I got two more questions for you, just quickly. Sure. I'm gonna put I'm gonna load them together. First of all, was the Josh Gordon thing like legit? was he actually late, or was he not? I heard some people throwing out an idea that you know Belichick thought there was a leak, and so uh, you know he spread some information inside the clubhouse to see, you know, if it got out or not and maybe told a specific person, which I think is ridiculous, but maybe you never know. And so I, you know, I just don't, it seems bizarre to me. They would say they're gonna, you know, they're going to, you know, punish him. And then he starts the game like on the first play of the game, he's on the field. So that was kind of a juxtaposition there. And I don't know, obviously that's a huge red flag for him. um, You know, if, if that, is the case. And so that's, I was kind of curious about that. And the other one is Gronk. And and to me, obviously Gronk is still hurt. You, clearly there's something going on, but he's been lined up in line so much this year. And when he's outside, even in the slot, it's so much harder to cover him. And, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's because, you know, Cannon's been hurt a lot and they want to give Waddell some help, you know, at, at right tackle or what the case is. But to me, you know, if they really want to use him effectively, you need to get him split out a little bit more to, you know, just to get off of that, uh, you know, bump at the, at the, at the line of scrimmage. And and that's something that they haven't done a lot of this year. And so I was just curious about your thoughts about that. And, and you know, if, if you see him progressing at all, cause I don't, I mean, he's, he's not even a part of the offense right now. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. So to answer your first question, uh, there are a lot of really good reporters. I mean, obviously rap sheet is, is the kind of the pinnacle, but you know, Kevin Duffy at the, at the Herald now, and, and uh, Giardi, a lot of those guys that I work with on a daily basis that I really trust and, and don't think that they just throw stuff out there. And both of those guys you know, the local guys too, once rap report kind of reported it nationally said that they had kind of heard rumblings of Josh Gordon being late to things and stuff like that as well. So I think that, more so that I believe that Belichick played Josh Gordon on Monday night in spite of the reports leaking than I believe that Belichick leaked the report himself. If that makes sense, uh, yeah. Belichick has kind of has a history of doing that, where. When things get out of the organization that he doesn't want to get out, obviously you don't want to tell the opponent and you don't want to make this this like public, uh, you know, kind of uh, shaming of Josh Gordon by saying that, you know, he's going to be out because he was late to stuff. When that happens, he often says, well, screw that leak, screw that reporter for reporting that I'm just not going to do it. And uh, and I kind of think that that's more likely than him kind of throwing it out there just to just to see who's a rat and who's been leaking things to the media and that type of stuff. And over the last couple of years, I mean, let's be honest, uh, the Patriots haven't exactly been a tight-lipped organization like we're kind of used to. Now, obviously, the Jimmy Garoppolo trade kind of came out of nowhere, but right. some of the other moves that they've had – haven't necessarily been so much of a surprise as we're used to seeing and you know the Seth Wickersham piece whether it was right or wrong a lot of people spoke on the record from in the organization to Seth Wickersham for that piece so that doesn't sound to me like an organization that's exactly batting down the hatches like we're kind of used to here in New England so um I think that Josh Gordon's had some issues over the last week or so with tardiness, but I also think that every single time I ask anybody about him, whether it's Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, uh, wide receivers coach Chad O'Shea, who talked to me about him today, everybody's just praising how much work he's putting in, how hard he's working, how much he wants to be great, and all those kinds of things. Uh, But I do think in terms of his production on the field, they are a little bit concerned still with the hamstring and with the explosiveness coming back. And one thing that I thought was interesting that O'Shea said to me was that, you know, when you don't play a consistent amount like Josh Gordon over the last five years, you can run as many sprints and run as many hills as you want to. But there's a difference between conditioning like that and then getting in football shape. And to be honest, Josh Gordon has only really played five games over the last, what, five years of NFL seasons. So he hasn't really had to play a consistent week-in and week-out schedule like he's playing right now at the Patriots. So I think that some of that explosiveness, some of the reason why we haven't seen, like, 2013 Josh Gordon, is uh, kind of a multitude of issues with his conditioning and with his injury, with his hamstring. So I'm hoping that, you know, Hopefully, over the course of the season, he builds that conditioning up and that hamstring gets more, uh, you know, healthier. And then they can kind of see a more explosive Josh Gordon. But uh, now to your Gronk question, I think that, you know, it's an interesting one. I kind of said it today and on Twitter, and I and I did a video with it for S as well on our YouTube page, just saying that, you know what, Gronk is probably not – the same all pro guy that he was let's say in in 2011 and certainly but even as recently as like 2016 or 2017 last year but some of the onus is now going to fall on Josh McDaniels in my mind to figure out ways to get him away from double coverage you know teams obviously are double covering him and they're kind of just living with the consequences the Patriots beating them with James White and Gordon and Edelman and Hogan and these secondary players when every single Monday or Tuesday teams are saying all right the one guy we need to take away especially in the red zone is Rob Gronkowski and they're kind of focusing their entire game plan but like you said lining him up in the slot lining him out wide. They've only line, lined him up at wide receiver, something that we're kind of used to seeing Gronk do a little bit more 10 times in the entire season. Uh, that seems to me like a way to kind of get him away from that double coverage. And certainly if that double coverage is going to flow, flow all the way over to him at an outside perimeter receiver spot, then that really opens up a lot of other areas because that puts 10 guys on nine guys everywhere else. And uh, and you can really get, you know, a, a guy open that way. So I think that lining him up outside has been really the most effective, especially in the red zone this year. That was obviously how he scored his per- first and only touchdown was being out wide. And then the catch that he had last week against Buffalo was, you know, the juggling catch was that he was out wide. And then the catch that they had, he had against Kansas City on the final game winning drive was in the slot. You know, those are ways to get him some one-on-one matchups. I I really believe, and maybe have him win in a different way. You know, maybe he's not going to run by guys as much anymore as he used to, but he can still. I mean, he's six foot six, six foot seven. You know, he can still uh, kind of separate vertically by going and catching the ball above his head. I would expect we see a lot more of mm-hmm. that. Um, in the in the coming weeks, or I would hope that we see a lot more of that in the coming weeks, especially in the red zone. You know, when he's healthy, when he's playing, at least. I don't know if he's going to play this week after sitting out practice today, but uh, hopefully, he does play. And I think that there, there are going to be opportunities, maybe some fades, maybe some slants, uh, on back shoulders, obviously, on the outside, on the perimeter, where you can use his size, use his leaping ability to kind of go above the defense and catch the ball because he's not necessarily separating like he used to, um, you know, just in terms of getting separation or getting enough space to kind of uh, win a matchup on his own unless right. they put uh Josh Saw you know the chief safety against them in man to man coverage and then he still got it but uh this is going to be an interesting week for him because like we talked about earlier you know if he plays obviously uh like we talked about earlier the the packers safeties are uh you know relatively new and experienced players to that scheme and to what the things that he like to do and uh, they're going to be, you know, Josh Jones is going to have a tough test if Gronk is in that game. Cause it's, you know, week one right away, you're the starting strong safety and you have to go against probably the best tight end in football.
0: Well, it's a, I, it's a good point, you know, and that's, that's really kind of where I was looking, especially with Gronk. And, you know, those safeties are brand new. And so, you know, we'll see. And I, I just think red zone, you know, and the red zone hasn't necessarily been a problem for them all year, but to me, you get down the red zone, you stick Gordon on one side, you stick Gronk on the other side and you run a double fade route and you throw it to one. I mean, like to me, it's just like, it's obvious, you know, if you can't double team both those guys. So whichever guy gets single coverage, you just throw it in the corner and see if they can get it. And if they can't, you put it in a spot where they're the only two that can catch it. And so they haven't done enough of that. I know Brady threw one of them, but didn't like the matchup that Gordon had. He just kind of threw it out of the back of the end zone, but you know, they just haven't done enough of that. And I think, you know, McDaniel's is a is a very good offensive coordinator, but he falls in love with plays and he'll run on. You know that he's he's got some things that I, I, I mean, as any as any fan, you know, he's got some things that I that annoy me when he. But I think overall, you know, he's very good, and we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I think the Gronk situation, we'll see what happens there. Hopefully, he does play it this week. Like you said he sat out this today, so, um, but I think he's on track to play. But we'll see. You know, who knows. So, you know, I suppose you never yeah. know with Gronk, right? Yeah, you never know.
1: And, uh, you know, the, the McDaniels, I understand. McDaniels gets a little too cute sometimes, I would say. And uh, and he gets a little too scheme heavy, and he doesn't necessarily rely as much on just, you know, we have some really good players on the offensive side of the ball, and let's just use those guys and get them in matchups and win. But at the same time, I there are very few guys. I mean, I could probably count on one hand, uh, not excluding the head coaches like Andy right. Reid and, and Doug Peterson and McVay, but even including those guys, I mean, he's on the short list of just brilliant offensive minds in football. And, you know, when you call 75, 80 plays a game, not every single play is going to be perfect and not yeah, every course, single yeah. play is going to work. And, um, and a lot of it is not necessarily even on the play caller. A lot of it is just poor execution by the players as well. So hey, you're not going to be perfect, but he's, he's right. And uh, and you know, is
2: perfect more times than he's not. I would say.
0: Right, that's a good point. So that's all I got, Specs. You got anything else? No, that's
2: it, man. Evan, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it, and uh, definitely some good chat. Um, about yes, Plug this, this
0: yourself before we before you leave, my man.
2: Sure, yeah, and no problem. Uh, happy
1: to come on uh, whenever you guys want me. But uh, go follow me on Twitter at ezlazar l a z a r. That's really the easiest. Way to find everything that i do uh over at CLNS, whether it's podcasts or uh you know articles film reviews features all that kind of stuff and uh go follow our youtube page as well uh, at patriot CLNS youtube page uh we do all sorts of videos stand up videos uh talking about all these kinds of things like we talked about today matchups and uh Gronkowski's struggles and uh, all that kind of good stuff and uh th- those need uh you know some love too so uh I'll shout those out as well.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you do a really good job of, you know, breaking things down and you, you know, have a lot of with a lot of clips and showing what's going on. So it's really, uh, you know, it's really a great, you know, you do a great job on Twitter and now you're, now you're there, of course, you know, I mean, you, you were just kind of writing before and now you're there a beat reporter. So you get the pitches from, you know, pitches and videos from, you know, from press conferences and stuff. And so, uh, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, obviously you listen to this or you're a Patriots fan if you're not following Evan, like what the hell are you doing? So, you know, let's hope that everyone is, but if they're not, you know, absolutely shoot them a follow. So thank Um, you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it, man. And, and uh, you know, thanks again for coming on And, and yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Sounds good. All right. So big thanks for uh, Evan to come on, uh, to Evan for coming on to the show. Super, super knowledgeable guy. And again, like I said, if you're not following him on Twitter, follow them on YouTube. Like, you know, they're there, they do a really good job over there and he's, you know, definitely one of the best. And so we appreciate him coming on. And uh, so, like I said, let, let's get in, let's get into the Red Sox. And I know it's a Patriots podcast, obviously, obviously, but Red Sox won the world series. So we got to certainly get a touch on that. Um, it, it's, Maybe the most insane story ever because it is not hyperbole to say that David Price was the worst postseason starter in Major League Baseball history. Uh, he was bad in 10 straight starts. He had allowed a ridiculous amount of earned runs. I think it was like 42 or 44 earned runs and like 63 innings pitched. It was something ridiculous. And then all of a sudden he goes up and he's thrown in the bullpen, you know, in, in game four and he comes into game five and he just all of a sudden has it. And he shuts them down in game five and pitches great in game two of the world series and just throws an absolute gem in game five of the world series. And, you know, probably could have been MVP if it wasn't for, you know, for Pierce in back-to-back nights kind of, you know, being the, the catalyst on offense, Uh he was it was it was unbelievable. It's like nothing I've ever seen, just a complete 180 from a guy who for whatever reason couldn't get out of his own head. And and he said, he's like during that bulk figured something out. What it was, I don't know. He said it was like an arm slant or something. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Excuse me, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he went from an absolute puddle in the playoffs to to just a dominant force.
2: Another thing, too, which is crazy, is the four world, four world championships we've seen, three of them have come with a new manager in their first season. I mean, it, that's you never see that in any sport. And Tito did it, and Farrell did it, and now Cora did it. Alex Cora, what, a, what an amazing job. I mean, he just seems like a great guy. Those guys love him. They play for him. And he pushed every right button from game one to game whatever. You know they won one hundred and nineteen ball games. like that is insane, you know, like right. it's just it was it's such an amazing season. We will probably never see that again. I mean, they were they were super talented. but if you looked at their roster top to bottom, they definitely didn't have the most, you know, I mean, granted, they had Moogie bats, JD Martinez sale price, yeah, they had some stars. Don't get me wrong. But like when I'm saying depth-wise and everything, the the amount of questions they had going in the playoffs, and they shut everyone up, they shut me up, they shut you up. I was like, there's no way they get past the Yankees with that bullpen. You said with Price. I mean, I I agreed with you. You know, it's just it's insane, man. And I mean, not to get off topic. I mean, I love. um, I I just want to give a quick shout out. I know you're you know you know um, know him too, but I know him pretty well, Jared Carabas. I mean, that's awesome. What what a story he. You know, started as a guy like one of us and now he's on a duck boat. You know, he's so passionate and it's, it was, it's crazy. I mean, so much fun this year. It's brought the whole city together. It was, it was awesome.
0: He, he more than anybody else exemplifies, you know, a a real, true Red Sox fan that just is an absolute lunatic and follows follows the team and you know was always talking about the team and always writing about the team and you know always in their corner and and they all love him over there and i and i tell you something i mean he just he is that type of guy he's so relatable it's all on the table for him you know nothing's hidden and so it's really uh you know it's really kind of a fascinating situation with him and and you know him on the duck boats it was just it was amazing the whole thing was just awesome and and, and like you said he's been writing about the Red Sox forever. And obviously he's been with Barstool for a while, but he was writing about the Red Sox way before he was with Barstool. And so, you know, he, he's been, you know, kind of a voice uh, for the fan, you know, for a long time. And, and, you know, has been saying things that, you know, that honestly some of the, some of the journalists and some of the media don't want to say. And, you know, it's really been, it's, it's really something special for him. And so, um, you know, Spags and I were kind of talking, and and not to you know get into us a little bit, but you know, Patriots wise, not that I'm anywhere near what Carabas is, but but I mean, like we're we're just insane Die about the Patriots. Oh, insane! I, I mean, it's crazy. We we're staying
2: pre-recorded. Your wife won't watch the game with me. My girlfriend knows Sundays when the Pats are on. Let me be. Don't talk to me. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, I I pulled an absolute horror show when they lost that Super Bowl last year. I was an emotional <laughs> wreck like i'm not proud of myself you know <laughs> like getting mad upset emotion like it's just it, it it's it's i mean you guys might think i'm absolutely insane if you're not from here but it's just how i was brought up i mean i was born in 97 no one they started winning like I'm, I'm so used to them winning and when they don't and they crush you like that you're like you're you almost feel a part of the team like it's like oh my god i mean. I am insane with the Patriots, obviously with the Red Sox too. Those are my top two, but the Patriots are my go-to. Like I I can't stand them losing. It ruins my Monday. You know, right. I had a kid in my school who was similar to me. His mother was probably a lot cooler than mine. Every day after the Patriots lost on a Sunday, it didn't come often. If they lost on Sunday, he would not go to school on Monday. And I remember <laughs> I, I would never see him. And I was I was miserable Mondays. Like I – Mondays suck when they lose. Yeah. I can't stand uh, yeah. them. I, I'm crazy. I mean, I, and you're the same way.
0: No, oh, it's – it's. I mean, honestly, so I have season tickets and I sit in the end zone. By the way, I'm in section 143 in the end zone, north end zone, right in front of the light tower. If you're ever around, you know, come say hello. I'm not talking to Spags. I mean, I, you know, but I, I am talking to spags, <laughs> But I'm talking to everyone out there. Stop by 143. You know, say hello. Uh, but, you know, I'm right actually under the row of honor if you if – you, you know, if it, when they kick an extra point or a field goal, that – uh, down there but you know my wife w- will not sit with me she's like i will never go to the game with you ever again y- you yell and scream and you're a maniac and she's like i just won't go i d- I'm just not doing it. and then you know i have a hard time walking. hey it's an
2: excuse it's an excuse to go with your
0: buddies though right well it is yeah well i go with my dad which is great and I have, <laughs> yeah I, I, have, I have i have so much fun you know what i mean and it's great and and my dad's the same way i am you know and uh and so it's just – we're just yelling and, and, you know, getting on the ref's case. And and if there's a player not doing well for the Patriots, I am the fr- – I'm like, oh, God. And for me personally, so it's funny. For me, I, I am so outwardly pessimistic. Like watching a game with me is the worst experience ever because I am so – they suck. Oh, they're going to lose. Oh, I, I can't believe it. Oh, they're doing terrible. What the hell is Brady doing? I'm just so outwardly pessimistic. And inside, they can be down by 47 points. And inside, I'm like, okay, all right, well, they win. Down here. And then they kick it. You know, all you got to do is get, get this the, they get and
2: the, then right, get Get the outside kick. Dollar, and we throw, go. Touch yeah.
0: And it's like I'm calculating in my head the ways they're going to win. But on the outside, because I'm like, just get all that negativity out. And then all that we left is positivity. And then, you know, it's just it, – it's insane. And so, you know, if you're like that, that's okay. It's all right to be like that. It's okay. And and you see a guy like Carabas who – you know, lives and dies by the team and he's embraced by the fans so much. And I think too because he's one of the fans. He's not standoffish. He's not, I'm better than you, I'm this, I'm that. He interacts with everyone. That's yeah, that's why I like him
2: so much. Yeah. And that's treats me with respect. He always did from when he was a guy like me to where he is now. I could DM him right now, text him, he'd answer. It's just like that. I like guys like that.
0: And it's just, you know, and, and again, he's just, that's just the type of guy he is. And that's what you want to see from, you know, the guys that we see out there, you know, and, and I'm happy for him. And, and but again, it just goes to show you like, it's okay to be like that. You can be crazy. You can be a lunatic. You can love your team more than anything else on the planet. Like that's okay. You know, and it's, oh, it's just sports and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, it is just sports, but like you know, you get so passionate about it that you're like, it it, oh, it takes over your life. You know, Sundays, I'm like, Sundays is football. Like, I'm sorry, but Sundays is football. You go to the Patriots game, I'm there, you know, hours before, I'm in the stadium an hour before the game starts so I can watch them in pregame warmups. Like, they're not doing any pregame warmups, but I'm watching them anyways. I'm watching the field goal kicker and how he kicks the field goal and how he does this, and how he does that. And it's just all little things that a lot of people don't notice. And I, I bet, like, you know, people don't even know this probably, but, like, Adam Vinatieri, who's still still at it, which is ridiculous. But, like, Vinatieri would come out, and before every game, he'd come out, and he'd kick he'd kick a field goal, and it would go left. And then he'd kick a field goal, and it would go right. And then he would kick a field goal, and it would go straight down the middle. And every single other kick in warm-up would be good. And it was just he did it every game. And it was just like you got. I don't know if he planned it. I have no tried idea. Testing the wind,
2: just, something like it that. It was
0: crazy, and it was just like it seemed like every single game he would go left, right, and then right down the middle, and then the rest of the warm-ups. But those are things that you don't, you know, that you see when you're when you're there. But you, you know, no one's talking about it. No one's tweeting about it. No one's saying, "Hey, this is going on or that's going on." It's just not, you know, it's a little different. I remember. Uh, Kevin Falk with with Ridley actually, and they were just playing catch, you know, catching and and you know and pulling the ball in and tucking it in, right? And then catch, tuck it, throw it back. Catch, tuck yeah. it, throw it back, right? So Ridley, you know, Ridley's kind of getting into the song or whatever, and they're throwing the ball back and forth. And Ridley catches it and is dancing to the song and forgets to tuck it, and he turns to go throw it to to Falk. And now they're they're in the end zone, right? And I can see them, but they're in the end zone. I can't see anything that's going on. And I could see the look on Fox's face from there. I, I and Ridley just cocks his arm back and is like, "Oh shit, right?" And so he, he just takes the ball like he caught it and tucks it back in. It was, uh, it was awesome. So, anyways, <laughs> so let's uh, so we're gonna get into let's, some segments here and then we'll and then we'll yeah. go from there. So we have our uh, we have our um, up high. Let's head into yeah. too slow.
2: Hold right? on, Pat. Okay. Can we edit? Can we edit this out?
0: Yeah, sure. Of course we can.
2: Sorry, we'll go. I I just texted you. I was saying cause it's getting late. I was gonna say you want to just go high low after this and end it if that's cool. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, sorry. I mean, sorry, dude. No, you dude. Know, no, it's no, like the one no, no, week.
0: No, no. Don't uh, apologize. Don't apologize at all because we can. You know, <laughs> I like holy shit, ten uh, yeah, eleven. Yeah, I think we can talk. We can talk Brady Rogers next week after. That's what I, I was just that going that's, that's probably a better idea. So yeah,
2: perfect. All right, I can all take right, this cool. from here if you want.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
2: All right. So to finish up our show, uh, Pat, obviously it's our weekly high, low, and too slow segment of the week. Pat, I'll let you give your guys, and we'll kind of go from there. I know we got the same list, obviously. But um, for up high, I'll start. Devin McCourty, great pick six there. Um, Really solidified that win. Um, Obviously, they they were in the red zone there. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't crunch time, you know, you weren't sweating it out, but it was like, "Oh, you know, if they can make it a game here." And honestly, he looked fast. I haven't yeah. seen him run that fast in a yeah. long time. He was flying. Devin McCoy. He
0: sure was. Yeah. And he and he, he was sure we were talking
2: about him a few weeks ago about how he looked slow and out of shape. He didn't look slow there. He was flying. No, he
0: did not. No, he did not. And and he actually mentioned that that he, you know, he's like, "Oh man, he's like, I don't I don't know if I'm always that fast, but I looked fast." Um A great job of disguising the coverage on the play. Totally fooled Anderson into thinking that that guy in the middle was going to be open. And, you know, he breaks on the ball, picks it off, and takes it down the sideline. And like you said, you know, flew past everybody. Uh, Next on the list is Trey Flowers and – I mean, what can you say about Trey Flowers? And and, and I guess uh, you know what I'm going to do. Is what can gonna... you say?
2: Pay Trey Flowers. They oh better my pay God. him. They better pay him. Belichick, cough it up, please. We
0: no, and and they're gonna, you know, and they're gonna because he's not, he's not a Chandler Jones. He's not even a Jamie Collins. He's not a, he's not a one guy. He does everything. He's on the field all three downs. He's great at stopping the run. He's great at rushing the passer. He he's disciplined. He is a phenomenal player, a freak athlete, you know, and he's not Seymour. He's obviously a different player than Seymour, but that's the closest comparison I can bring to you because Seymour was such a dominant defensive end. And obviously he played in the three-fourths a little bit different, but like, you know, but the point is, is that he was so dominant and he was so good in the run game and so good in the pass game. And Flowers is just, he's a freak. I mean, you know, it was, was it last week with Tariq Cohen where he, he hit the edge and Flowers chased him down and stopped him for, like, a two-yard game. It was like, True Flowers just got Tariq Cohen. From he's in the it was, backfield. It,
2: it feels like every play is in the backfield.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so he's he's a dominant player. And they, to me, at least, I think they're going to pay him. So we'll see. Uh, and then the other guy on the list I think is, you know, you're probably going to pencil him in every week is Stefan Gilmore. He's been a uh, he's been a dominant force um, on the outside. We'll see what happens this week because he got a tough matchup with Devontae Adams. But, um, you know, but – but we'll go from there. So, um, and then I guess next on the list is Cordell Patterson, you know, Patterson, we get thrown, you know, he gets thrown in the backfield. And, you know, that to me is one of those things where Patterson, you know, kind of a Jack of all trades and they're like, Hey, you're going to be running back this week. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And he looked pretty good back there. You know I mean? Obviously he's not a between tackles guy, but you give him a hole and you give him a lane. And I think Ivan fears was talking about it the other day. He's like, He's so explosive with the ball in his hand. Like, just get him the ball somehow. And if that means you line up up, you know, six, six seven yards deep and, and he's the running back, great. And, what you know, whatever. So, um, you know, definitely uh, up high this week. And the last guy is Jonathan Jones. I like the way Jones is playing. Um, obviously, Rose now out for the year. So, you know, we'll see if Jones is going to play outside or inside. You're saying last um, week
2: that he could solidify himself as that number two corner if he keeps it up. Right, and now week he's going to have a chance. He's been consistent. It's all you can ask right. for in a cornerback, especially a guy like him. Just be exactly. consistent, make plays on the ball, and he's doing that. Exactly. I, I, I'm huge on him. I think he's he's good. I mean, give him the opportunity. he's He he makes plays.
0: Right. 100%. 100%. So, um, so you got them. And then uh, for our down low, I guess I'm going to start with the right side of the line, uh, Waddell and Shaq Mason, uh, Waddell allowed six pressures, and Shaq Mason allowed four pressures. Mason off night, off, off night for, uh, for
2: Mason. Definitely, yeah,
0: for sure. And it looks like he's not going to play this week. Uh, um, he's got the groin injury that he suffered uh, during the game, and he, he only he only played thirty six snaps, and he allowed four pressures, so not very good. Uh, and like I said, Waddell allowed six, and so you know the right side of that offensive line was not great, and so uh, so they're definitely a download this week. Again, Mason's dominant. Um, he just had a rough week. Uh, and then Brady, I think, is is one of the down-low guys. I know he didn't have a ton of time, uh, a lot of different opportunities, but, you know, it's still on him to kind of get the offense going and get everything moving, and he wasn't great. He was okay, but he wasn't great. Um, I think it was the first time – this is the first time they hadn't scored a touchdown in the first three quarters of a game since, like – I think it was the – I think I, I remember it was the um, – the uh, the browns game i think where they played the browns at home and it was like an absolute slog and it was like the i forget um no i'm sorry that's wrong it was the arizona game when Gustowski shanked the field goal at the end of the game uh with no time left and they lost um and that's the last time they had, they didn't score a touchdown in the first three quarters so you know, obviously it's not all on brady but you know you know brady runs the offense so he's he's on there and i think you know guy that we talked about with lazar is josh gordon I just, to me, I don't know if that stuff is true about him being late, but that's obviously uh, know, waiting for him to in.
2: get a bigger role too. I mean, he's so talented,
0: right? And that's, so that's the other part of it too. He's just, he hasn't been a ton, you know a huge part of the offense. So so I think Gordon on that list. And last on the list is maybe nitpicking a little bit, but Ryan Allen's on the list for me, um, you know, end of the game. I know it's the end of the game and your game was probably out of hand. And honestly, Nobody talked about it. Nobody even mentioned it. The broadcast crew didn't even mention it. But the last punt of the game uh, by him, you know, two minutes left to go in the game, where he totally shanked it. It was like a 30, you know, 25, 30-yard punt. And uh, and so, you know, obviously it didn't matter at that point. Pete was already winning by a ton of points. But even still, it's not what you want to see from your punter. And so, obviously, he's got to clean that up. It's just one, you know, one little thing there. Um, so those are the uh, up high and the down low. And the too slow this week? Ah, oh, Manny freaking Machado. Too there, slow. It, it, there may not be. <laughs> a bigger D-bag. A bigger. Oh, God, man. He might be the most hateable guy in all the sports. It's just Since like,
2: A-Rod. Since A-Rod. purposely
0: spikes Pierce. Yeah, but I think. Oh, man. I don't know, dude. A-Rod no, to I mean, me. See, the difference between him and A-Rod is a was a good player, and he played the game, for the most part, he played the game, like, not Between, cheap. And I know he slapped yeah. the ball out of Arroyo's hand, right? But, like, you know, but that's just instinct. That's not him trying to yeah. break the rules. It's I know like, what you're saying. I know you're saying. You know? Machado's worse. Wait, I, I but can't Machado, stand him. I mean, what's he doing? It, that play by Devers in the bottom of the ninth in game four, it's the bottom of the ninth, and you're going to go slow down the line so you can so you can uh, cleat Pierce and the, and, and the Achilles. It's like, what are you doing? And so that one to me was like, you're nuts, dude. You know, Devers made a nice play on that, but he should have beat that down the line. He had forever to get down there, and it's almost like he slowed down so he could so he could intentionally get Pierce. And then you know, it just the whole series. You know, he get the he hits the ball. Was it game three that he hit the ball to left field? And he jogged because he thought it was a home run, and it ended up being a single. one. it was just like, what are you doing, guy? He's just a clown, and you know. For him to be the final out of the series was just was icing on the so cake. Happy. It was fantastic. So happy. So so he's our he's our too slow this week because man he's just he's just too slow. It's great. So um, but that's it. That does it for for this for this week. Um, obviously a huge game coming up Sunday night. Um, we're gonna actually talk. We were we were gonna talk Brady Rogers this week. I think it, it'd be more interesting to talk Brady Rogers next week. Definitely. Um so I think that's what we're gonna do is. uh you know, let's talk Brady Rogers after the game. So we can kind of diagnose what happened this week, but also kind of what happened, you know, over the whole career. So um, that's what we got. Obviously follow us. Um, we are at Pat's nation pod on Twitter. Um, we are, I am P lane underscore Pat's. You are Ryan underscore spags. So follow Correct. us there, you know, subscribe to the Pat's pulpit. And the best part about the Pats pulpits feed is that you not only get our show, you also get the Pat's Pulpit podcast, and that's hosted by Rich Hill as well. So, um, you know, definitely it's 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 great because all you have to do is you subscribe to the Pat's Pulpit pod and you get both of our shows, which is great. And so that's, you know, that to me is a bonus for you. So you're getting shows kind of uh, all week. So, so that does it for us. And, and uh, again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you guys.